The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here to talk about games, storytelling, and we're we're going to sort of sidestep this week. Uh, we have a history. We've sort of established ourselves as one of the things that we really love to talk about is all the ways that games tell their stories in the less obvious ways. The way that things like mechanics and, and uh, framing devices and setting and all that kind of stuff can help to inform how the game is telling the story to the player. This week, it's going to be all about words. Um, we're going to be talking about dialogue, narration, text-based exposition, maybe even some cutscene type stuff. Like, all of the things in game storytelling that is a little bit less unique to it, but the ways in which it's used differently, if that makes any kind of sense. Is that about right, Dylan? Yeah. 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 Everybody loves words. <laughs> As Shakespeare once said, words, words, words. Uh. <laughs> So that was terrible, but anyway, y'all can't tell. This is a morning cast. Yep, I don't we're, know if we're any back of that at our, was... our Randy best. Um, mm, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> jet lagged edition. Yeah, no I, one just uh, got I, back my from family, vacation. Yeah, my family went on a vacation to California, and I was there for like five or six days, and I just got back last night at one. So ew. yeah, we're uh, we're throwing Dylan into the deep end, but hopefully he'll be able to channel some of that manic sleepy boy energy and we'll see we'll see we'll shake him around and we'll see what falls out um, fuck you i love you <laughs> i don't know why right. that prompted a fuck you. <laughs> it, it, it didn't but like I, I was gonna lean into that manic sleepy boy energy that's fair i love it but anyway so we're we're talking about how games use things like dialogue narration exposition all that kind of stuff the best example of this and the easiest like poll that i can that i could think of is there was the whole genre back in Really, the heyday was the 90s of the point-and-click adventure game. Mm. Uh, things like Grim Fandango, which we've talked about on the show before. Monkey Island. There was a very, very good and very, very well-written Discworld adventure game that I played a lot as a kid based in the Discworld fantasy setting created by Terry Pratchett. And it was hilarious and one of the reasons that I was introduced to Terry Pratchett at a very young age. But all of these games are defined by being much more about their story than they are about gameplay. I kind of joked about this in the episode about uh, Flashbulb games when I was talking about Grim Fandango, but a lot of the gameplay in adventure games kind of boils down to, like, find the hose to give to Old Man Jenkins so he'll give you his cat so you can put his cat next to the mouse hole so you can catch the mouse so you can get the mouse trap so you can put the mouse trap underneath the, on the police officer's chair so that the police officer will run away so you can pick up his keys so you can open the cell door so you can free the convict so you and the convict can run away together. I was making that up completely, but that's about as logically consistent as most adventure game like gameplay gets to. Mm -hmm. But in addition to just like, you know, combing your screen for the pixel you can click on to be like, ah, there's the gardening hose I need. 
Uh, they also feature a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversations and a lot of, like, conversation trees that you kind of have to go down to occasionally, like, rather than, you know, strictly gameplay things like use cake on man, they sometimes involve, like, use your intelligence and have a conversation with man. And, like... Rarely. Rarely. <laughs> more more typically, rather than use intelligence, it would be click through all possible permutations of dialogue tree on does, man. D- does Monkey Island... Is that is that the origin of the uh, the insult contest? I think so, in all okay. honesty. For, for people who don't know, in the Monkey Island games, and I think it was parodied in Sly 3... There's this thing where, like, you have to insult another pirate, and it's, you have to keep choosing, like, fresh phrases, or else you, uh, you fail the minigame. It's, it's interesting, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But, so that was sort of, like, the, the jumping off point in my head for this topic, but then I started thinking about, like, it's been a very long time since I've played any point-and-click adventure game that wasn't Grim Fandango, so I'm not super equipped to talk about that. But there are a lot of games that I've been playing within the last few years that engage with language and engage with dialogue in a similar and interesting way. And the first one that comes to my mind is a game that came out a couple years ago called Subsurface Circular. Uh, It was made by a guy named Mike Bithell, whose previous best-known game was a game called Thomas Was Alone, which is a very charming uh, indie platformer that you should totally check out. Subsurface Circular is a game set in the same world as Thomas Was Alone, which you find out in some very like clever little nods in the dialogue. But in this game, you are a robot. You are an investigation, like, police robot. And you are... Your beat is the train car you are sitting on. You cannot leave the train car you're sitting on. But you find out that there's some kind of mystery going on. And the entire game is you having conversations with the people that get on the train to try and figure out what's happening from the context clues that they are able to give you. And it's so good and so well written and one of the most creative kind of modern takes on the adventure game that I've ever played. Mm. It's just, it's, it's all dialogue trees and it's all like you figuring out what the right questions to ask are and as the game goes on it gets more complex where like you'll need to get information like you you might come to a dead end in a dialogue tree with one of the robots that can be oh unlocked. and you need to like talk to another robot exactly and get the right exactly topic oh that's so cool so like you'll you'll run into a dead end where it's like well that's all that you have to offer on that conversational topic but then in talking with another one of the robots, you might stumble upon a piece of information that you can then take back to that first robot. And it's like, it's so still... In, in some way, it feels like an adventure game or a JRPG formula, but like trimming the fat because you're all in this one concentrated space. Exactly. And it's it's a quick game. I think I played it... I think I played it all in one hour and a half, two hour set uh, session. Mm. It's not super long, but it's really creative... It was a really cool take on the dialogue puzzle as a gameplay model and the thoughtfulness of it. I hadn't played, I hadn't seen an adventure game come out that was doing something different in years because most adventure games, even the ones that are like indie games that are coming out now are like homages to exactly the older. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. And this felt like very much its own 
thing. It also features some incredible music and some really cool-looking robot designs. So I would I, I highly recommend it. But that was sort of like another like catalyst point for me on this episode of like, oh, mm-hmm. games can do really cool things with dialogue. Uh, um, Chris, this is like kind of a wild tangent, but still me, related please. to the topic. Um, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but like something about you talking about this other game just kind of sprang it up. Way back when I was in high school. Okay, so first of all, I, I still haven't played Earthbound. I've made it to like the third town, but for whatever reason, the game doesn't hold my interest. I think it's a fine game. Anyway, I played a ROM hack of Earthbound. <laughs> uh, I think it was called Hyperbound. And it was this really fascinating ROM hack of Earthbound in which like the story was completely changed. I think the environment was kind of remixed. Um, you have a different starting point, and you are in this... So, the basic premise of the game is that you wake up in a hospital, and you were you just recovered from some, like, life-threatening condition, but you have no one to pick you up, and you have no memory of who you are. So, the entire basis of the game is to go around the game world talking to various NPCs and collecting key items to try and get an idea of who you were and what you need to do to get your memories back. Because when you when you agree to... There's some... It's been years since I've played this game, but there's some sort of device, I believe, that is supposed to give you your memories back. But it's like a maze, and the more information you get in the real world the uh, more the fake points in the maze are walled off. That's rad. It's really cool. Um, and so you're, you're just going around and you're talking, and from the dialogue, you, you, you are led to your home, where your parents live, although they're not currently there. I think they're on vacation or something. You learn that you are a college student, and you went to this one co- uh, college university, and you like to frequent this pizza parlor. It's really cool. Uh, I wish I wish I had this game fresher in my memory, but that's rad though. Uh, it's it's I I thought it was a really cool experience. Even if you're not into RPGs, there's no uh, RPG battle system. Download Hyperbound. It's it's a pretty cool novel experience. That sounds really cool, and that's kind of that's a great microcosm of the kind of thing that I want to be talking about. Because like in film, there's the old adage of like show don't tell. The the logic in film is that the best case scenario is that you're not telling the audience outright anything more than you absolutely have to and anything that you can show through action you should and games have a sort of similar mentality of like as much as you can do through gameplay do that which makes sense and we've talked about that before like examples of games that do a really good job of keeping things to the mechanical side but these are both examples that i love of games that what you're being told, the exposition, the dialogue, the talking, all of the, like, quote-unquote, not-good-game-design sort of information passing has mechanical benefit, or is the main mechanic. And that's really fucking cool. Mm. So I, I looked up Hyperbound, and I found I, I found one of the download links, and uh, it's it's on this one guy's site, Michael Ian Torno, uh, and he... Apparently, this was his senior project at Ryerson University, and this was to explore ideas associated with video games, such as uh, non-linear narratives, I'm sorry, and spatial storytelling. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, I really dig that. The main thrust behind this project was to use an existing video game as an interface for a large hypertext narrative, 
By exploring, getting lost, and discovering secret paths within the narrative, the user uncovers information that will affect the outcome of an unfolding story. It's it's really cool. I think uh, even if you're not like into RPGs, you should check it out. That's dope as hell. I need to play that. Honestly, Dylan, I'm gonna I'm gonna lob the ball back into your court. Okay. Because you were talking about something that I'm very interested to hear about. You've been thinking about doing some content related to Ocarina of Time and how Ocarina of Time tells its story. Uh, yeah, I mentioned and... this on our Patreon episode, but I've been thinking a lot about Ocarina of Time and how it tells its story and how th- this is something that is like very convoluted in my mind and I'm, I'm actually writing down notes to try and sort it out. But yeah, Chris, what, what did you want to say? Well, in particular... <laughs> mm-hmm. Link from The Legend of Zelda is famously a silent protagonist. Yes. He does not talk. Mm-hmm. But there's a shit ton of people in the Zelda world that you can talk to in all of the various games. And yeah. I w- you brought this up before we started recording, and I was curious what your thoughts on that were and what, like, what purpose does the one-sided dialogue in a Legend of Zelda game, Ocarina of Time, as a handy shorthand serve like what is that for and how is that used yeah so one of my favorite things i've come to discover about zelda ocarina of time in particular but honestly all of the games have this all of the 3d games have this to a a certain extent is that you know because link is a silent protagonist there's really you know there's there's a lot of interpretation of the character but i think nintendo does a lot to keep him from being an outright blank slate to that end I, i guess the most interesting thing to me about Ocarina of Time is that a lot of the the opening area of Ocarina of Time, Kokiri Forest, a lot of the bulk of your gameplay there, in addition to kind of learning the story, is to find out the kind of person Link is. And the the more characters you talk to, the 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 fuller that image is. You you really get an idea for Link's status quo. So before gameplay starts, all you really know about Link is that he is a boy without a fairy, and he's been having some weird nightmares lately. And as you explore, you, you learn who Link's uh, friends are. Uh, you, you see him talk to some NPCs who aren't necessarily close to him, but they're happy that he has a, you know, Tinkerbell-esque fairy companion that all the other kids... They're, they're basically the uh, the lost children from Peter Pan, but they all have their own personal fairy. So they're all happy that Link has his fairy, and they're all encouraging him. There's a bully, and like through talking to all these different characters, you get an idea of the kind of place Link was born in or not born in, but was raised in, the people he interacts with, his social standing in this community, and really uh, the, the entire opening segment of Ocarina of Time is standing up to a bully. It's, it's just, it's kind of, it, it's, it's charming. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what's, what's cool about that is they, they have to write those five, six line conversations, one-sided conversations, in such a specific way to let them like still work as conversations that you're hearing even though you're not getting any of the stuff that's like prompting it and they have yeah. to make it work as something that like at least to a certain degree makes sense for someone in this universe to say but also in a way that is serving that purpose of telling you about the person that you're moving around and the person that you're controlling yeah the interesting thing about Ocarina of Time on top of that is as the stakes change and the story develops, the motive for talking to NPCs and exploring also changes and develops. So in the opening area, you are talking primarily to learn about 
the world that Link has inhabited and maybe get some more information about the type of person he is. When you beat the first level and you go to the Hyrule Castle Town Market, which is, you know, this kind of intercommunal hotspot where a bunch of people gather, you are now talking to learn more about the world in a greater context. Uh, when you go to Goron Village, you are talking to learn about this race that you've never seen before. It, it's just kind of this new, like, oh, I'm going to talk to these characters because this is novel. This is something yeah. that is new. The game story is mainly told through these breadcrumbs that they keep leaving for you to eat at your own leisure. They do such a good job of letting... You can follow the story without engaging in all of this dialogue. There are some conversations that have to happen, but like a lot of them... They're there if you want them to, and this we we've talked about stuff like this before. But like they, they serve such a great like filling out the world kind of purpose. Another game that I I'm interested in talking about, and this can be a nice brief one before we head into the play bill because it's a game I played for like a couple hours way back when it came out. But another game that kind of similarly takes conversation and makes it the focus. There's a game that came out back in I want to say like 2011, but it, it's a game called Ellie Noir. It was developed by Rockstar. Actually, no, sorry, published by Rockstar, not developed by Rockstar. But anyway, they it's a game in which you play a detective in L.A. in, like, the 40s-ish, I want to say. I don't remember exactly. Like I said, I played this game for, like, two hours. But the conceit of the game, the reason that they, like, made it, it's sort of new thing it was trying to do, was make the investigation the focus. It was very much an adventure game. Large portions of it were, like, wandering around the scene of a crime and combing for clues and all that kind of stuff uh in a similar way to like something like heavy rain where like you're wandering around an environment and just sort of like picking things up for context but what la noir introduced that was different is when you are questioning a a witness when you're questioning a suspect rather than it just being your typical video game dialogue tree they they were one of the first games to really lean into facial performance capture. Maybe to an uncanny degree. To a to a substantially uncanny degree. <laughs> because the the their intent, their attempt when they were making this game was to create faces that were good enough at expressing emotion that you could pick up on tells in their facial expression and in the performance of the actors that they hired to perform to do it. Boy, it's a weird game to look at. So on the one hand, the tech was not quite there. They landed in a very uncanny valley <laughs> look for L.A. Noir, But the idea behind it was very cool. And the idea of really leaning into performance capture on the facial side of things and not just for, like, getting motions and, like, capturing, you know, a stunt guy falling to be able to animate off of that. It was a very cool thing. And a lot of games since have... Like, this is one of those moments where it's, like, it's less L.A. Noir itself that I want to talk about because, again, I don't remember it super well. It was an interesting idea that didn't quite get there. But then you look at the legacy of that game, and you look at things like the cutscenes in the recent Uncharted games or God of War 2018, where they, like, really, really, like nailed performance capture in a way that the tech wasn't quite there for in 2011. I honestly think that's probably the biggest thing that held L.A. Noir back, because the idea mm -hmm. is interesting. I, I can't tell you how fun it was to play, because I don't really remember. There there was a What Happened episode oh. <laughs> on L.A. Noir, because apparently there was a lot of 
uh, development issues and crunch and was not, not a well-managed project. But, like, that is a game that had an idea about a new way to handle exposition and handle dialogue. And while its mechanical side didn't catch on, the development ideas of it did. And now a lot of AAA games are leaning into performance capture in a way that, like, while it's not necessarily doing anything different for the games, the quality of, like, actors and voice actors that are working in the games industry has gone has gotten really high and the fact that we're now able to use facial capture to like even get more of their performance in there is really cool yeah um i know that was that was my take on la noir it felt like if we're talking about games that use dialogue interestingly it would be a weird one to leave out but yeah let's let's hop into the playbill do a little bit of a chatting in there and then we'll come back and round this baby out make a round baby i don't know if you can hear me dylan I can hear you. I'm just choosing not to. That's very fair. <laughs> just choose not to engage. Yeah, I respect yeah. it. Hey, Dylan. Yeah, what's up, Chris? I like giant robots. You dig oh. giant robots. We dig giant robots. Chicks dig giant robots? Nice. Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone i guess we're also plugging for mid-2000s hidden gem megas xlr but gotta gotta ask coop when we're watching that on our podcast oh my god, dude please. you remember macross oh my god please 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 anyway tell us about <laughs> dude you remember macross yeah so dude you remember macross is a podcast where i talk with uh chris our our friend uh god it's so hard to talk today <laughs> <laughs> uh gentleman and scholar coop not a doujin character you couldn't and leave well we, enough alone I, I had to open the wound one more time <laughs> but we we talk about the anime uh super dimensional fortress macross and we talk about uh the intersection between culture and the military and i'm reading a book on japan's military culture in the early 20th century so i hope to talk about that on the show at some point it's going to be good stuff I'm going to roll right through this credit because I don't know how to talk today. That's fair. It's very good. Where can I find it, Dylan? Uh, right. That is something <laughs> I do uh, Life is so hard right now. Uh, you can check us out at anchor.fm slash dude you remember. That is D-U-D-E. Uh, you can find us on twitter.com at dude you remember and we are also on spotify google play and apple podcasts i had to double check i love you i i i'm content with myself i'm just gonna rapid fire through some things because the things i'm in have already been out so i don't feel the need to like yeah 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 quite as much but if you like my voice and want to hear me using it for what I actually do, rather than pretending to know what I'm talking about for an hour every week. Um, Isn't you that should... what acting is? I, I guess so. Anyway, if you like my voice and want to hear it, largely just have bad things happen to it at this point, uh, you should check out a couple of podcasts that are out right now. Uh, Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery, is a fantastic actual or a, a fantastic audio drama based in rural Ohio with spooky shit happening. I was lucky enough to be in the final episode and sort of the coda to their first season. All twelve episodes are now available wherever you get your podcasts. If you search for Unwell, 
And you can find them on Twitter at UnwellPodcast. You can also hear me in Cold Open Stories' newest production called When All Lights Have Gone Out. It's a Warhammer 40k audio drama, and you can find that by going to coldopenstories.com or twitter.com at coldopenstories. Dylan and I are also going to be in an actual play podcast. It's called The Unexplored Places. It's made by several friends of ours from school. They're all great people. The show is fantastic. Their first season wrapped up recently, and it's fantastic. It's also about spooky shit in rural Ohio, because I have a brand, I guess. But their first system was Monster of the Week. We're now going into a new system for a new story. Uh, I'm going to be one of the main recurring characters. Dylan's going to be around when he is able to as sort of a, uh, like a rotating cast member type situation. It's fucking phenomenal. We're also both involved in some of their interstitial episodes and some Patreon-only content. In fact, the first one came out recently featuring me. Uh, We played a game called, oh dang, Bigfoot stole my car with my best friend's birthday present inside. And I played a smooth tech bro named Bick Haxman. So if any of that sounds entertaining... (laughs) It was a really fucking fun episode to record, and you should go check it out. Uh, you can find them at unexploredcast.libsyn.com, on Twitter at unexploredcast, or by searching for The Unexplored Places wherever you get your podcasts. You should also, if you for some reason like the bullshit that we spew out into the world, we have a Patreon where you can support that very thing. If you like what we do, please do check out patreon.com bsgpod. That is where... You can find out about the different reward tiers, all the different things that we offer in exchange. There's a bonus episode up right now. We're thinking about maybe doing some more. And also, you know, help support a couple of goobuses that are trying to make it in a very strange career field. Thanks to our patrons, we are not paying anything out of pocket to keep the show running, to pay for website hosting and all that kind of uh, overhead stuff, which is incredible. And we are incredibly grateful to all of you who have already decided to be our patrons. But if you're not, and you like what we do, and you want to support us in that way, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the way to do that, and we appreciate every single bit of help that we have gotten through that. Let's dive back into it. Dylan, was there anything else on your head that you wanted to talk about with this topic to get Uh, us off the ground running again? I could talk about Phoenix Wright, but... Actually, yes, please. Okay. That's such a good... I guess I'm talking about Phoenix Wright. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, uh, Phoenix Wright is a game that is entirely text-based. You know, I I think in, like, contrast to a game like... Also, complete side note, but we really should probably have played at least one or two visual novels before getting to Doki Doki Literature. Anyway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Phoenix Wright. Unlike some uh, 90s adventure PC games where... Some of the puzzles are really just, like, mash these two items together and try as many solutions as possible until you get one right. Phoenix Wright is kind of based on your knowledge of the story and your interpretation of events. The concept for Phoenix Wright, for people who aren't aware, is that you are a lawyer, and this is, like, kind of a parody of Japan's law system, where it is taken to its, like, most logical extreme. And so the basic premise is like your defendants are basically guilty until proven innocent and the only way you can get them an acquittal is to prove everything with evidence and if there isn't something that can be proved with evidence you need to kind of badger the witness or uh whoever whoever's giving their testimony until your evidence becomes relevant whoops it's it's never been like upfront like even in the the universe of the games they're like this is kind of a fucked up system and it shouldn't be like this but 
what that creates is a it's an engaging system where you have to really kind of you have to be in tune with the story you have to understand every character their objectives their motives their conflicts and also analyze and think about their uh, their view or their account of what ha- what has happened or what they've seen a lot of this is you know there is dialogue where you're talking to them while you're investigating the case because phoenix isn't content to just be a lawyer he's also kind of a detective or at least he he does the sleuthing work that the actual law enforcement won't let him pr- be privy to <laughs> he's a bad boy who doesn't so, play by the rules <laughs> so he'll t- he'll talk to witnesses and people the the defendant knows and to to basically get a bigger picture just like the other games we were talking about but on top of that you also when you're in trial you will look at the witness testimony and you will go through their dialogue and you have the option to on any single bubble of text that they have you are able to press the witness so you can get a clarification sometimes it's just fun flavor text but like it's always fun and engaging to read on top of that sometimes that exposes a contradiction like they'll slip up and that's when you present evidence and it's it's just this really fun loop of learning the story learning the characters trying to get a map of the actual events in your head so you can really slowly start to guide the story to that conclusion Having not played very much Phoenix Wright, it's sitting on my computer staring at me, and I haven't gotten to it yet. We should really do, like, a book club or something on that game. That'd be very fun. Do Is there any kind of, like, prompt from the game when that slip-up happens? Like, when you are questioning a witness and they suddenly say something that contradicts a previously established fact? Like, does- sometimes they'll give you a hint, but I think it's really up to you, especially as the games go on. Uh, it's really up to you to, like, see that contradiction and That's pinpoint it. That's fucking great. And in your inventory, like, you will have information. Like, all the information that you need is available to you. So if you forget a small detail, you can always check it. It might not help you if you haven't played that case for months. But but that's uh, really cool because that they're yeah. they're not necessarily introducing anything in the mechanics of the game that are setting them apart, but they're turning your attention and your like actively pay, like engaging yourself in watching for those moments into a part of the game. Yeah, and they're asking you to engage yourself with the dialogue in a way that a lot of games don't. Like once you once you have played enough cases, uh, Phoenix Wright becomes, oh, I got new evidence. Let me think about all the potential ways that this could come in handy. (laughs) That's really cool. Oh, there's a stain there. That could be important. I'll have to tuck that information away. Or, oh, uh, this court record says that at this specific time, there was an outage. I need to wait for someone to slip up on that. Maybe they don't slip up. Maybe a character two hours from now does that slip up. Uh, but, like, you know, it, it's this constant, like, gathering of information and storing it and being like, I hope I get to use this. Phoenix Wright is to dialogue trees what the fucking labyrinth in Zork is to game maps. <laughs> I That's rad. I half get that. I half get that. That's rad. We've hit on a lot of, like, the interesting things I can think of. I just want to shout out real quick before we wrap up uh, a couple of games that have just done interesting things with their dialogue or with the way that they present exposition. One of them I want to talk about is a game called Bastion. Bastion Mm -hmm. came out a real fucking long time ago at this point, which makes me feel very old. 
Yeah, Bastion also released in 2011, and it is, it's a very fun game. It's a, it's from Supergiant Games, who are also notable for Transistor, Pyre, uh, I think, I feel like they put out another game recently that I can't think of offhand, but they make a lot of, like, very charming, aesthetically kind of unique indie games. Uh, and Bastion is a sort of isometric brawler sort of game. You wander around and beat things up and... There's, like, some very mild platforming elements, but, like, pretty minimal. But it's set in this world that is, like, post-calamity. Something terrible happened, and now the world is reduced to, like, floating islands of stable land in an abyss, essentially. And the way that you're told about the world is through this narration. And I can't remember... I I was about to say, I'm not going to take the time to, like, dig through the internet and find the narrator's voice, but it's sitting right here on the page in front of me about Bastion. Amazing. Narrated narrated by an actor named Logan Cunningham, and it's, for one thing, his performance is incredible. He has this great, deep, raspy, like, all of his lines are, are delivered with this sort of gravitas of, like... The dude abides. Yeah, honestly, very yeah, much yeah. like that. It's the big Lebowski narrator. Yeah. Kid didn't know what was gonna be what was going to be waiting for him on the other side of the gap. That kind of, like, really great, and, like, it, it melds with the very sort of, like, electro-folk soundtrack and, like helps to establish the world really well. But what's unique about it is that the narration is dynamic and based on what you do, at least to some extent. Like, there's some that's just triggered to, like, when you go to this new place, it plays this, you know, clip. But there's one notable moment where, in the first level, you wander into this, like, ruined bar, and there's a whole bunch of, like, sort of Pompeii-esque figures that have turned to ash. And the, 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 it delivers some line of like, kids spent a lot of time back in here before the, back before the calamity. Never expected to see the faces like this. And then if you just want, like, there's nothing really to do in this bar. If you just run right through, the narration kicks in with something like, kid didn't have time for nostalgia. But if you, like, wander around in the place and start, like, swinging your weapon to, like, break crates and things and happen to hit one of these figures, it'll explode in a cloud of dust and the narrator might say something like, kid never liked that guy. And it's all, like, it's little touches like that, but it helps make it feel less like I'm being told stock information and more like this guy's narrating what I'm doing yeah, in, you know, quote-unquote real time. And I haven't, I don't think anyone else has really done anything with that. I, I can't... It's, I feel like it's a hard thing to, uh, you know, like, you gotta have, like, a very specific purpose with that. Yeah. And they used it well, and then later on into the game, you discover that the narrator is one of the NPCs that you interact with. But it's just like, which also then ties into, oh, he's narrating exactly what I'm doing because this is that NPC telling this story to someone in the future. Which again, helps just the game feel very holistically there. But I know it's it's one of those things that it worked so well in Bastion, and I want to see other games do something like that because it was such a cool and unique thing. But like um, you I'm said, I'm just gonna say real quick that like I always like pictured Logan Cunningham as looking like the dude from The Big Lebowski, but he's like a pretty young black guy, <laughs> 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 just not what I expected yeah. at all. I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, but you're like good. I, I looked That's up fair. Logan Cunningham out of curiosity, and I was like, oh shit, he honestly doesn't look unlike you. Yeah, I, well, I mean, like, he's he's the me I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But anyway, that was just something I wanted to bring up. The other one that I want to talk about really quick, just because, like, it's little things that can make a big difference in making long stretches of exposition or dialogue or cutscenes feel engaging. 
and it's a game that we it we love it so much and we talk about it all the fucking time it's iconoclast bam 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 um <laughs> this game's fucking great play iconoclast i'm not we'll, gonna we'll bother we'll shill iconoclast till the end of the earth it's fucking true and it deserves it but iconoclast as we've discussed before it's a game in which you play a silent protagonist named robin who is a mechanic and she's to put it mo- the most simply i can she's trying to fix shit and there's a lot of shit that's broken um yeah that that might be the most apt summary of yeah the game and a lot of people that are broken but there's a lot of Iconoclast is all text-based. There's no voiceover. There's no voice acting. But it is the most dynamic text-based dialogue I've ever seen. Characters interrupt each other. And so there will be points where, rather than you having control of like, ah, I got all of that information, hit the A button, next next screen, please. There will be moments where like you're doing that for a while, and then a character starts to say something, and then that dialogue box gets like punched out of the way by another box from another person faster than you have time to read it because that character's interrupting and they want it to feel like an interruption. Whereas another game might have it like, you know, get to, now I don't know about all that. And then like the double double hyphen, Iconoclast takes control of the dialogue away from you for the sake of performance. Mm-hmm. And caring about performance in an entirely text-based dialogue game is insane. <laughs> like that's nutty and it's so cool and like there's that's the example that's most readily in my head but there's other things i've played other games that have done uh done that but i i think what makes iconoclast so fun and so emotive is how much it does that and the degree to which it does it yeah there are similar moments in another of my favorite game series paper mario yeah Uh, famously there's a there's a a section in Paper Mario where in order to progress the story, you have to do this side quest involving uh, this pair of, like, newlyweds. The final, like, dialogue interaction between them is, like, the woman's like, I'm not going to forgive you until you apologize. And he's like, but I already apologized. He's like, you're going to need to apologize a hundred times. And then you need to scroll through a hundred instances of this guy saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it requires a hundred button presses. It's really it's good. fucking hilarious. And, like... Not to say that that is necessarily good game design because it grinds the thing to a halt, but it does that intentionally and it does that with the intent of this humorous moment. And I, I fucking love it. It's so good. But yeah, I guess using those two as a springboard to sort of, let's thesis statement this episode. Um, what? I know. I didn't expect to have one when we began speaking, but here we are. Okay. Um, games need to be engaging. Games especially, more than other media, because you have the expectation of being interacted with and of interacting with the world games need to be careful about how they handle dialogue how they handle their non-interactive storytelling moments one of the reasons that a lot of jrpgs and that a lot of games in say the metal gear solid franchise have like one of their negative reputations is that they have an over-reliance on long stretches of dialogue and long cutscenes. so really what we've kind of been getting at here is just it's very cool to see games that think about how they use their dialogue, that think about exposition and think about ways to make it more engaging, whether it's something like Phoenix Wright that's just, you gotta be paying attention because that's the fucking game, yeah. or a, well, a well-written game that's all about dialogue trees, or if it's just like recognizing that you're gonna have to have dialogue and finding ways to make sure that it is as well done and as impactful as possible, like rise in facial performance capture or 
being creative with your text-based games like Iconoclast and the Paper Mario games are, or the the narration like Bastion was. It's all about, like, games need to... You, you, you don't pick up a game to watch a movie. No. You pick up a game to play a game. Even, so, even games that I love that have an over-reliance on exposition and text boxes and i'm not going to name any names but i feel like everyone who knows me knows what game series (laughs) i'm talking about i i feel like those cutscenes are at their best when they serve a purpose and are doled out and there there has to be a, a balance yeah they have to be punchy they don't they need to not overstay their welcome because if your game is good the player after a certain point the player is just going to be like okay but when is this going to end so I can get back to playing the game? Yeah, yeah. And these were just us talking about some examples of games that do a good job with that. That's all I really got for this week. This was probably going to be a little bit of a, a short and punchy one, but I still yeah. had fun. I hope you Let's had hope fun, so. Dylan. I, I had fun. I hope you have fun editing this. <laughs> it won't be that bad. I uh, hope so. I love you. And I hope that you, audience, had fun listening to us talk about some games that we think are cool, some storytelling techniques that we haven't really delved into a ton recently. Yeah, this has been a good time, and it'll continue to be a good time when you join us next week on Backstage Gaming. Until then, please feel free to find us at our website, bsgpod.com, where you can find our episodes, you can find a contact form if you want to get in touch with us, you can find some info about me and Dylan, and also... Wherever you get your podcast, think about leaving a rating, leaving a review, especially if you're getting it on iTunes, where, you know, they're the king of podcasts, and your iTunes rating affects your future in the realm. If it, do- dops- <laughs> if it drops to two stars, Tim Cook shows up and shoots us, so please don't let that happen. Please, Apple, let us continue to flourish. <laughs> but yeah, if you like what we're doing, dropping a rating or a review and sharing us with people that you think will find us interesting is the best way to help us grow, and we appreciate each and every one of you that does that. Um, you should check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And we also have a YouTube. Leave comments. We like YouTube comments. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Playing a dangerous game, Gregory. Playing a very dangerous game. That all said, though, uh, if you want to talk about some of the ideas we talk about or suggest ideas for episodes, whatever. If you want to engage with us in any way, you should use the hashtag bsg pod uh also huge thanks to our friend brennan french for our key art if you like the art that he has provided us you should check out some of his other works at brennan-french.squarespace.com that is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com you can also check him out at instagram.com slash brennan french arts you should also go and show some love to our friend bioquery he is the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality He writes a ton of great electronica. He's got a couple of EPs out right now. One of his solo work called Post-Human Angst. One of a, uh, it's a collaboration EP that he produced called Lynx Volume 1. And it's all fucking great. You can find him by searching for BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y on Spotify. Or by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. And one more time. Big thank you to all of our patrons, and if you like what we're doing and want to help us do it more and do it better and grow and thrive and eat, uh, (laughs) you should go to (laughs) patreon.com slash bsgpod. That is where you can find all of the different reward tiers, see if there's anything that looks interesting, help us financially if you want to and if you are able to. If you're not and you don't, that's also totally cool. I get it. But 
If you like us and want to help us in that way, that's the way to do it. That's all I got for this week. Dylan, do you have anything to add, to tell the lovelies, to sing to the heavens? Well, now you've put so much pressure on me, I have to say something. That's it. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha